The scripture this morning is um, Luke 12, um, 54 through 59. Luke 12, 54 through 59. I'll be reading the English Standard Version. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see a south wind blowing, you say, there will be a scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you'll never get out until you've paid every or uh, the very last penny. Please be seated. Well, good morning. You here today? I look out in our crowd and I see that we have visitors with us, and we're certainly glad that you chose to be with us today. Very honored that you're here. If you would, leave your Bibles open to that passage. We're going to be looking at chapter 12 and chapter 13 this morning. I'd like to thank the men for their prayers. Uh, Matthew, it was good to see you up here. Our young men up here praying, that's, uh, that's always good to see. And then I thank the men for waiting on the table. And uh, it's always good to see these young men too. Jackson was there serving and I love to see that. Tonight we're going to have a special treat. Nat is going to be... Uh, preaching tonight, and uh, Jim's gone, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but the kids, the young kids, the young uh, men of the uh, youth group are going to be doing the announcements and the prayers and the song leading along with that, so we're, everybody come back and encourage them tonight. They need that, and that'd be good for all of us. It's encouraging to us as well to see that. Glad they're stepping up to do that. Brother Jim Laws is, uh, for those of you visiting with us, is our pulpit minister. He's away today. He, um, he left Thursday to go to Cookville, Tennessee. He's at the. He was uh, to deliver the keynote speech there Friday night at Tennessee Bible College. I found out today that flew and, and is in a hotel, so I don't know. I'll, I'll try to contact him later and find out uh, about that. I hate that. This flu season has been a hard one and tough on everybody. I was hoping we were through with it here, and um, but we'll know something soon about that. Well, we titled these sermons. Where we can, where when they put them in uh, the log there, where you can look them up. And the the sermon today will be timing. The sermon title is timing, and we're going to be looking at timing. And you know, if we look back over the that were read for us, verses fifty four through fifty nine, it's about timing, and the Lord commends them in, in on certain things, and certain things He doesn't. Verse 54, it's about clouds and their meaning, and he tells them that their interpretation is correct. And the signs, and they, they correctly uh, understood about the timing of the clouds and what they meant. In verse 55, it's about the wind and its meaning, and uh, once again, their, their proper interpretation of it and its timing. And in verse 56, he calls them hypocrites. Uh, they properly earth, he says but not the times in which they live in. And that's what I want to talk to us about this morning, the times that we live in. You know, oftentimes we talk about things of the past or maybe even things of the future, and we forget about the, the time that we live in, the days and times that we live in. So we're going to look at that this morning. Verse 58 and 59 there, 
he's talking about not only timing, but urgent timing. He says, you, when that situation comes, you, make a, you do a plea bargain. You plea with your adversary then and there before he takes you and drags you off into prison. That was their time. And uh, he didn't want that to happen. What we say today is, with your adversary, make it right. Make it right while there is time, before it's too late. Do you ever think about the signs that we interpret today? As I was putting this, uh, this lesson together, I thought about signs that are very common today, and they indicate time. Uh, I'm a hunter. I love to hunt. And so in November when I'm hunting, almost, and I've noticed it, and if you're a hunter too, you probably know our outdoor enthusiast, it seems like it's always the same date, November the 10th. When I'm in a climbing stand up in a tree, deer hunting, guess what I hear? Flying over. Geese. They're flying over and they're honking. And you know what that tells me? Winter time is upon us. Without an exception, when you hear those geese coming over, it's not going to be a hot day the next day. It's going to be a blue northern blowing in, isn't it? Uh, I noticed today, I got out to, uh, in the yard this morning before I came to church, and I noticed that certain trees, the elms and the hackberries, they're budding. You know what that is? Springtime is around the corner. With all this rain and these trees budding out, I know that that's a sign that springtime is at hand. And uh, several months ago, around the first of the year, all my chickens' combs turned red. You know what that means? It's laying time, and they've been laying ever since. And we see, we see all kinds of signs, and these are just some that I relate to. You certainly have signs that you see every day that relate to the timing of the year or things that are coming up, and those signs prove those things, don't they? Well, this morning we're going to look at by the Lord about timing. And they're going to be in the next, uh, we read 54 through 59, it's going to be chapter 13, so you can stay right there. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 9. And he's going to talk about the timing, and uh, first of all, he's going to talk about some Galileans that were killed and the timing that took place then. Secondly, he's going to talk about 18 souls that were killed when a tower fell on them. And then lastly, he's going to look at a, uh, a fig tree and recite a parable about this fig tree. And the fig trees will be about timing as well. You know, yesterday, uh, Cherry and I both attended the ladies' Bible class. And, um, and then we went home and we were preparing lunch. And I live in the country and I have a of a long driveway and it's wooded and we we never get in company i've said about uh i've said about trick-or-treaters we've yet that we've lived there 15 years and they're too scared to come down the driveway and i don't blame them but we just never get we never get traffic there and, and so we were at home i think we had eaten lunch or something we were sitting around and i said well hey we got company coming here comes somebody right down the driveway which is very unusual and two young ladies got out and they were about 19 or 20 and uh, they came and i met them at the door and they said, sir, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. And they said, when will the suffering on earth end? Do you know? And I said, yeah. When the, when, this earth, when the Lord comes and this earth is destroyed, then the suffering will end. And she said, can we talk? I said, we certainly can. You, you ladies come on in. So they came in, and Sherry and I, uh, what are you all laughing about? <laughs> Sherry and I uh, were, was ha- were happy to talk to them. And uh, they talked about fantastic tales of uh, earthly kingdoms, about um, heaven only for an exceptional few. 
and uh, no destruction of this earth, regardless of what the Bible said. There would be a hierarchy of earthly leaders in this new world. And I'll be honest with you, I was as polite as I could be and courteous, but I reached a point I stopped them. I said, ladies, stop. I said, that's not what I want to talk about. I said, what I want to talk about is this. And I said, I want to be a child. And I want a relationship with God the Father. And I want a relationship with Jesus Christ, his son. And I want my sins forgiven. And I want the guilt of sin to go. And I want the assurance and promise of God that it will be that way. And they had nothing for me. It was sad. They had been sent out on a mission these things, and they weren't even good at talking about those. And they, they didn't understand the Bible that they used to back it up. They took things totally out of context. And um, I guess they felt like they had done a kind of a poor job because they came back Saturday. And they, they brought a man with them this time, and he didn't do much better. But the thing is, that, and I use that for an example, there's religions out there that are going door to door, and they're winning thousands of people over, simply because I think just they look shocked that we even own Bibles. And uh, as Christian people, we've got to do better than that in this life. We've got a message, and it's worth saying. It's worth talking about. You need to sharpen your sword, maybe. But everybody in here, if you've obeyed the gospel... You can do a better job than that. You've got something worthy of saying, and I wish you would uh, concentrate on that and be aware of that. You know, questions about suffering, and those are good questions. You know, uh, we do suffer in this life, and their conclusion on it was certainly wrong, but they did ask a question that's intriguing. It's a door opener. It's an icebreaker. And, uh, you know, I think about our Lord. I thought about it after they left. You know, our, our Lord suffered over sin, but he suffered over our sin, not his own. And in this same chapter, in chapter 12 and verse 50, it says, But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am until it's accomplished. So there's just tell you, sin is a terrible thing in this life. It's a terrible thing. Our Lord had to give his life for it. Not only had to give his life for it, it was a cruel death, the worst kind of death that he had to die to redeem you and I, but really and that's going to be our message for today. The message is about timing. Now let's read, uh, let's read uh, the first three verses of chapter 13. There was present at, this, at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you no, repent, you will all likewise perish. Well, that should have certainly got their attention, should it not? They came and they told him about this, this horrible tragedy, that, this national tragedy that had befallen these uh, Galileans. And, um, and so, but it says there, notice in verse 1, it says, there were present at that season. And that means this, meaning on that same occasion. On the occasion that he told this story, what story? The, verse, uh, the verses 54 through 59 about the clouds and about the, um, the wind. And that had apparently gone right over their heads, just like the Word of God sometimes goes over our heads if we're not in the right mindset to receive it. And so um, the first thing they do, is 
The first thing that they did, uh, they brought up this regional tragedy. Instead of talking about themselves, they talk about these Palestinians, I mean these uh, 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 Galileans that Pilate had killed. You can read about that. I think this is recorded in Acts 5, 37, this event. But Jesus asked them, probably from the get-go, do you think these, because that's what we do, even today we do that too. Sometimes we hear about a, a horrible tragedy, what do we sometimes think? Well, they must have been sinners. They must have, you know, uh, they finally caught up with them or whatever. That's not the case here at all. He, uh, he says, um, he addresses what they were probably thinking. Do you think they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? And their answer probably would have been in their mind, yeah, but that wasn't the case. Jesus uh, um, assumed, asked them what they assumed about uh, worse sinners, and then he says, no, that they weren't, but unless you repent, you'll likewise perish. Now then, they had missed the first point. I wonder if they missed the second point. I wonder if we missed the second point. Did he mean that Pilate would come and kill them and mingle their blood in their worship service? Is that what he meant? No, that's not what he meant. He meant that unless they repented of their sins, they would die like these men did, unrepented, and died in their sins as they were. And then in verse uh, 4, let's read that 4 and 5. He says, Are those 18 upon the tower of Siloam fell on, or fell and killed them? Do you think that they were worse sinners than all others in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you'll likewise perish. Now they brought up the first thing, didn't they? They brought up about the Galileans that were uh, uh, or killed with, uh, by Pilate. And then Jesus brings this other subject up. No doubt it would even be equivalent to, uh, if, like for me to be talking this morning about the shooting in, in the Florida school. It's all on our minds. We know that it happened uh, very shortly. 17 people were killed. Very tragic, wasn't it? And he is. And he brings up something very similar to that. Now, he talks about the tower in Siloam. In John chapter 9... There is a pool at Siloam, a, a blind man washed his eyes in that. That whole chapter is dedicated to that, that story of the blind man at the pool of Siloam. Perhaps this tower was at Siloam, I don't know. It's called the Tower of Siloam, so I suppose it was. Uh, I've read commentaries where they thought it might, be a, it might have been a prison, like the, uh, like the Europeans did in the, in the medieval days. And maybe these 18 men were in this, in this uh, tower prison. And then some believe that they were uh, uh, construction workers and they were building the Tower of Siloam. And some believe that they might have been these indigent people that were laying at the pool waiting for the angel to stir up the water that someone might be helping. But one thing we do know is this. The tower fell accidentally, tragically, and killed 18 men. Okay? That's what we know. But what they assumed, Jesus dealt with it. We may have those assumptions today. You know, sometimes we assume things incorrectly and wrong. And he says, but I'll tell you, the people he's talking to, and that same people that he's talking to applies to you and I too, but you will likewise unless you repent. Now, did he mean that they, a tower would fall on them and kill them? No, that's not what he meant. He meant, though, that things in life do happen. Death is inevitable to all of us. Don't die like these people did, unrepented of your sins.
he had the same question. Do you think they were worse sinners? You know, sometimes when tragedy befalls, we think maybe it was because of their life. I can think of things every day that happens. You know, wouldn't we do well this morning? There's probably 150 or 60 people here today. Our preacher's number, 180 or 90, you know. Uh, But, you know, what are the chances? I I don't want to be morbid because it may be me. But what would be the chances of everyone from this side to this side in the next year that no one would die accidentally or tragically? It'd be rare, wouldn't it? You know, chances are one of us, something bad could befall us just out of the sky. It's important to have your sins forgiven, isn't it? Because these men, I wonder if those Galileans that morning when they woke up, they said, we're going to sacrifice to God. I wonder if they knew that would be their last day. Those men that day when they were at the pool of Siloam or those that were putting the mud and the mortar on it or the prisoners inside, whichever the scenario, the case might have been, I wonder if they woke up that morning and said, you know, I had a premonition that I'd die today. I doubt they did, did they? You know, and uh, I know my life and my people and the people I'm connected to, and you know yours, it happens all the time. You know, I get a phone call and a cousin died or something like that, tragically, a car wreck or something. It can happen. And he said, unless we repent of our sin, that tragically we'll die like that too. And we don't want to do that. Okay. Thirdly and lastly is the parable of the fig tree. Let's read that together. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and he found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Also, until I dig around it and fertilize it, and it bears fruit, well... But if not after that, you can cut it down. So there's the story of the fig tree. Certainly with Israel in mind. Okay? And we'll we'll talk a little more about that as we go along here. Um, I think we can easily, and that's what I want us to do today, I want us to make a personal application of it. Think of yourself. Don't think of Israel or or the Jews. But think about you, and I'll think about me. And let's try to make a personal application to ourselves on this. Verse 6 says, a certain man planted a fig tree in his vineyard. And here's some things that we learn real quick about it. It was planted by the right man. It was planted in the right place. And it was the right time. Remember the sermon's about timing, right? Planted by the right man. Who was this man? The keeper of the vineyard. He was the keeper of the vines. Uh, today, he, that man would be certified, wouldn't he? He'd have a piece of paper. He'd have a diploma on the wall. I graduated from A&M with an agricultural uh, uh, diploma. This is the right man. He's the keeper of the vineyard. He knows about vines. He knows about growing stuff. He's got the green thumb, and he planted this tree. And it was planted in the right place. When I think about the right garden, I know many of you do. I, uh, it's garden season, isn't it? We're breaking our gardens. And, you know, I break. I did just this other, the other day. I broke my garden. I took a, a lot of uh, chicken manure out of the house and planted it in there and tilled it in and been getting all these rains. And you know what that's doing? That's just getting richer and richer. And I'm preparing for my spring garden. 
it was planted in the right place. It was planted by the right man. And it didn't have any fruit. Are you making the application? We're not just talking about a tree here, are we, people? We're talking about ourselves, aren't we? We put on this earth. We're created about Colossians 1.16 says he created you. We're, we're created by the right man. We're put in a, not only the right place, but it seems like the best place. We live in a country that's free. We, can, uh, we could sit out on that street corner down there and talk about religion. No one's going to kill us. No one's going to throw us in prison. This is the right time, isn't it? But when we bear no fruit, is it his fault? Well, let's see. Wait a minute. He, he made us. He put us at the right place. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. And yet we bear no fruit. We'll talk about that. What, what kind of fruit is he talking about? We're going to talk about that shortly. It was the right time. but this Well, it's the rightful time because it had three years of nature, three years of nurture, and, uh, but no yield or fruit. It was time to cut it down. And make better use of the ground. You know, if you had us, if you have an orchard, you can certainly relate to it. I've got four pear trees, and every year they just do great. I've got four peach trees, and they do great. I've got three apple trees, and two of them do good, and one will not grow. And so I would automatically think, well, maybe it's that soil that it's in. But you might find out it's that tree and not the soil, right? We know that. We know how those things go. Well. In verse 8, we see that the keeper of the vineyard asked for one more year. Let him try even harder to produce fruit in this tree, and if not, then it's demise. This shows the patience of the keeper of the vineyard. It shows the patience of the owner of the vineyard to let it be so. And it shows the obstinance of the barren tree. You know, John asked those Pharisees and Sadducees, those that were in control of Israel's religion. He asked them, he begged them in Matthew 3, 8, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. You know, this morning in class, in the adult class, we talked about sin. We acknowledged that we all sin. We acknowledged that there were two types of sin, sins that we need to repent of and be forgiven, and then there are sins that if we're involved in those, we don't even bother God with those because those, those sins lead to death. And we acknowledge that we have sin. I don't think there's anyone in this room today that wouldn't say, no, I'm sin-free. I don't have sin because it, the Bible says you would make yourself out to be a liar if you said that. Well, then if we have sin, then we have an obligation. And what is it? To repent of those sins, to repent of those things that are stifling us, the things that are holding us back. He told them to bear repentance. But they didn't. History shows did not repent, but the vast majority rejected Christ as Messiah. If this parable is about them, if these uh, three years spoken of about this fig tree are about the three years that the Lord served on this earth with his ministry, then sadly as a nation of God's people, they would not bear fruit of repentance. And we see by 70 A.D. they were cut off. They were no more as a nation. And they're still not today as a nation. 
Um, they don't know their lineage. They don't know their tribes. It was all over. But God was so merciful, and he waited so long. What about you this morning? If you've not obeyed the gospel, how long has he waited for you? How many opportunities have been sent your way? How many times do you think uh, figuratively as he dug around your tree and fertilized it, hoping for more fruit, hoping for the first sign of repentance and fruit on your hand? You know, we also talked about this morning, and I really find this uh, amazing. Some people, did you know it is an impossibility for them to look you in the face and say, forgive me, I'm so sorry. I've sinned against you, and I want to do better, and I want you to forgive me. Is that so hard to say? Moreover, is it hard to say, and is it hard to mean it when you say? Is it hard to be sincere about that and say that if it is, you've got some work to do? You've got some work to do. God wants us to be contrite. He wants us to be humble, and he wants us to easily be able to look at a fellow creature and say, I'm sorry, I, I, I did wrong, and I want you to forgive me. That's the most diffusing thing. I've had people so mad at me, they wanted to kill me. And I thought they might. But before I knew, sleeves up and they're whittling knives in their hand and they were ready. To, and I, I said, look, we can do whatever you want to do, but I want to say something first. What? I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm sorry I did that. I'm sorry I said that. And the knives go back in the pockets. It's the most diffusing thing in the world. But you shouldn't say it. matter, You should say it out of sincerity. Is that so hard for us to do that? Ask to be forgiven. Repent of our sins. It is fundamental to be a Christian. It is fundamental that we must be willing to repent of sin. Well, Jesus says in the Scripture, repent or we'll likewise perish. And if we haven't repented, why not? Is it the love of sin? You know, in Hebrews eleven twenty five, there with Moses, he talked about, the Hebrew writer said that he gave up that season of sin. He could have been a, a, an elitist. He could have been a prince of Egypt and all that goes with his richest country in the world at the time, a world power. Can you imagine a young man, 38, 39 years old, the height of his power and intelligence and looks and uh, structure, and, and, uh, and he walks away from that to be what? A Hebrew slave and spend the next 80 years serving God in the desert as a shepherd? Walk away from a prince position? And he did because it's seasonal. You know, here's something for us that are older we can relate to. Young people, listen up. Things that tempt you today, things that would tear you apart, tear your soul away from God, things that, and if you haven't faced them, you will. Things that are of temptation now that, that most young people give in to. You know, 20 years from now, your, your whole demeanor will change about that. Those things that are so, so tempting today will mean nothing 20 years from now or 30 years. Now, they'll be replaced with something else that people my age are tempted with. And even people older than me are tempted with things that they relate to. But if we don't repent, we'll likewise perish, just like the examples of these others did. I wonder... They didn't wake up that day thinking that was going to happen. Those the tower fell on didn't wake up that day thinking that's going to happen. What would you do today? You need to ask yourself this. What would you do today if you knew Friday was your last day? You know, none of us have a way of knowing. 
But it could be. It could be that Friday's one of us in this room's last day. I wonder what we'd do today different. Turn with me to Luke 17. You know, we all have seen it on TV. We've heard it on uh, the radio. Mama said it or I don't know. But this seems to be pretty, uh, pretty standard for everybody. We think that something catastrophic is going to happen, don't we? There's going to be a tsunami that destroys the earth or nuclear bombs or something catastrophic is on its way sometime in our lifetime or our children's lifetime. And when I see the signs of it, then I'm going to repent and get right with God then. Before that absolute doomsday hits, I'm going to change and I'm going to do something about it. Well, first of all, let me ask this question. Where did you and I get the idea that something doomsday is going to happen before we die? You say, well, I got it out of the Bible. Let's look at some things. Verse seven, uh, chapter 17, let's start in verse 26. In this line of thinking, as it was, when was that? The first world. So it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, and they were giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. They were eating and drinking. It was another day like Tuesday was. Y'all remember last Tuesday? That's how that day was. You remember Wednesday? It was a day like that. It was a day like today. It was a day like maybe tomorrow's going to be. And Noah went in the ark, and they were all destroyed. Likewise, all. In the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So there you go. It could be, it could be a day, uh, the world could end on a day just like yesterday was. Or just like last Friday was. You know, it may not be something catastrophic that comes along. I don't know why we necessarily even think that way. The deal is, we don't need to worry about the day. We don't need to worry about that. We need to worry about repenting of our sins and doing something about it. In 1 Corinthians, I mean 2 Corinthians 6.10, I said this was about timing. You know what 2 Corinthians 6.10 says? Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. You know when the best time to obey God is? Today. Not tomorrow, today. Why is that? We don't know if there'll be a tomorrow, but we have today. We have today. Will you repent of your sin? James 5.20 says this, Let him know that he who turns a sinner from his error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. I've always felt like that worked both ways. Not only is that person that repents and obeys the gospel, covers his sins, but the one that helps him covers his sins as well. It's, a, it's good for everybody to repent and obey God. If we think that we have Christ and we have our sins, we're self-deceived. You know, I hear people say this all the time, and if you talk to people, you hear it. This has really gotten catchy in the last 10 years. I don't have a religious bone in my body. I'm not religious, but I'm very spiritual. That's called an ox. I'm not religious at all, but I'm very spiritual. Does that sound catchy to you? Does that sound good? It sounds confused to me, and it's certainly not true. First John 1 
say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth, but if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Christ, his son, cleanses us from all our sin. This morning, we need to repent of sin. We need to see the times of our lives, and the time of our life is today. It's right now. Today's the day of salvation. There's no better time. In Matthew 10, 32, the Lord said something, and I want to examine him. And he said, he that confesses my name before men, the same shall I confess before my Father in heaven. He that will not confess my name before men, the same I won't confess his name before my Father. Have you ever thought about why that's important? And I'll tell you why it's important. When I come down to the front here and I look at you, fellow human beings, fellow brethren, and I look at you and I say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Do you see how encouraging that is to each other? You believe that too, don't you, that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, I believe that as well. And then we say, and then I've always thought about this. Don't you know that's pleasing to God to hear that? God, I believe that your Son is God himself, that he is your Son, and that makes him God and my Savior. Yes, that's very important. God's Word teaches. And that uh, we should have our sins washed away. And in doing so, we can be saved. Did you hear what I said? A lot of people cringe from that. No, let me say it again. Our sins, we make the confession that God, that Christ is the Son of God. And then we repent of our sins. And we have our sins washed away. Titus 3, 5. It washes our sins away. 1 Peter three twenty one says it saves you. And Acts 2.38 says that's what they cried out, what must we do? And he said, repent and be baptized. Everyone will be calling on the name of the Lord. And having done these things, we continue to deserve, to observe all the things that Christ teaches us. Matthew 28.20. Can we do that today? Can we help you in any way? You know, we're like that fig tree. I think that fig tree, not only did it indicate um, Israel, but I think it's, uh, it, it points to us too. You know, Colossians 1.16 says that he created us for his purpose. And we find out that we're blessed. 5.45, his sun rises on the evil and on the good. His rain falls on the just and the unjust. God's already made the, the first move. The other move is on our part. I ask you this morning, will you be a profitable tree? Or you be like this fig after all the years and after all the time and after all the devotion that's spent to you. Will you be fruitless or will you bear fruits worthy of repentance? Just a moment, we're going to be led in song. And if we can help you in any way, come forward as we stand and sing.